0: He do that? Are you like, on, cha- what?
1: Charles Darwin.
0: Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Breber. Alongside me is Logan Camden and today We are going to be talking some NFL football, and the way we are going to get to some of the topics that are on our mind is by playing a little game called This or That. So what we're going to be doing for the entire show today is comparing two players or teams that we believe are of similar caliber and have some connected relevance, and just making our case for why we would take one or the other. And we're going to start with two guys who have just busted the league wide open thus far this season. Guys who are playing at an unbelievably high level at the quarterback position outside of Patrick Mahomes I think have unequivocally been the two best guys and that is Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers so Logan let's start with those two which one are you taking? So I mean
1: clearly you can't go wrong with either of these guys I personally am going to go with Aaron Rodgers because you say Patrick Mahomes is clearly far and away that the guy I think Aaron Rodgers has played perfect football this year literally perfect football I mean no turnovers for this Packers offense whatsoever and I want to contextualize that. That is literally insane. In four hours of football against the Vikings, Saints, Falcons, and Lions, no player has been able to pick off a pass or recover a single fumble. Also, uh, in the PFF grades as well, uh, Rodgers is number one, Wilson is two. So naturally, if you're basing any of your... Uh, picks off of that. Rodgers has been a little bit better. Um, 70% completion as well for Rodgers, but we also have to address that what Russell Wilson is doing is insane. Somehow the Seahawks are 5-0 with a completely lackluster roster compared to the Packers. Uh, As I said, he has the second highest PFF passing grade in the league. And again, you can't go wrong with either of these guys. Uh, Rodgers, the former MVP, both of these guys are Super Bowl champs. Personally though, like I said, Rodgers has played perfect football this season, I think you could make a case that Rodgers should be over Mahomes in
0: QB rankings thus far. Rodgers is playing perfect football, and when you consider his weapons, that Alan Lazard is his leading receiver on the year, that he just threw three touchdowns to Russell Tanyan, that Devontae Adams is about to miss his third straight game after a monster debut, and I'm zero percent concerned. It just looks so easy for Rodgers right now. And if he has unlimited time, he will just literally never make a mistake. But I also think the Green Bay line is playing at a ridiculous level right now. Number one in pass protection, three sacks allowed through four weeks. And I'm going to take Russell Wilson because what he is doing to me is such a different degree of difficulty. 19 touchdowns with three interceptions, 73% completion, 1,500 yards, and yes, better weapons in the passing game probably with Metcalf and Lockett, but his O-line is 28th in pass protection. He hasn't had a good O-line in years, and he continues to produce at that elite level since the start of 2018 when I don't think you could argue they've ever had an above-average O-line in that stretch. 85 touchdowns to 15 interceptions. Their defense this year is 19th in DVOA, and yet they still continue to win games for the most part. Convincingly, obviously just had to pull off a miracle against the Vikings. He's making plays with his feet with 153 rushing yards on the season. Out of the pocket is just on another level right now, and his ability to make so much magic happen with so few mistakes is just more special to me than what Rodgers is doing because... Rodgers' performance this year is a little bit Brady-esque in some ways to me because it's not like we're seeing the jaw-dropping talent of Aaron Rodgers on display that much. I'm talking about a younger Brady where it's not game managing, obviously, but it's really just limiting any risks whatsoever and taking advantage of of a great supporting cast and a really solid O-line and making smart plays time and again. That's incredible. He's doing that on an unreal level and obviously he still makes throws that other guys only dream about, but I think there's a reason that Aaron Rodgers over the last two seasons before this year, yes, obviously has thrown almost no interceptions, six combined, but also we saw the touchdowns drop, we saw the passing yards drop, because he didn't have the proper supporting cast. Russ has never had that drop-off. He's been at that MVP level, it does not matter who is there, his team is going to be around 10 wins, if not above, no matter who is on his side of the ball or the other, and I think that it's not just the precedent that we've seen in years prior that says that, just compare these two teams. Compare these two rosters and tell me how it is that the Seahawks are 5-0 and the Packers are 4-0 and as well and all the power to them, but their defense is playing at a different level, their line is playing at a different level, as great as DK Metcalf has been, Aaron Jones is probably the single most valuable weapon on either of this team because the Packers have the ability to just be a, an elite running offense whenever they want, and the Seahawks don't have that. People know they're going to Russ every time. They know that they're going to be able to get pressure. They know that they're going to put up some points on the Seahawks' defense, and it still just doesn't matter. Russ is going to win them the game. And I completely agree,
1: Carson. You say that what Russell Wilson has been doing is more impressive. You're exactly right. The The caliber on the Packers' roster, The I think the Packers can compete for a, a Super Bowl this season because They are so far more supremely talented than the Seahawks. Uh, Zadarius Smith has been an absolute demon off the edge for this defense this season, and the Seahawks don't have a single guy comparable on their defense whatsoever after, well, I'd say outside of Jamal Adams on that level of player. Bobby Wagner, too. Yeah, Wagner's well. Uh, I'm glad to give him credit. Uh, And the offensive lines as well. The Packers' O-line is way better than the Seahawks. I think that... You make a very good case that it has been more impressive. Where does, if you had to pick an MVP, is Wilson clearly your runaway candidate so far over a guy like Rodgers?
0: I think so, because he is the single force driving his team to wins. He does not have an elite running back. He does not have an elite O line He does not have a very good defense. And Aaron Rodgers has all of those things, and yet the Seahawks are still undefeated. If they go 13-3 and or something, with Russ playing at this level, I don't see how he could be denied.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think that Rodgers does have a case, though, just because,
0: I don't know, I think it's funny because you said
1: Tom Brady game manager-esque early in his career, and I know exactly what you mean by limiting mistakes. It's just so funny for a guy with 13 touchdowns and nearly 1,300 yards in four games to compare it to nickel and diming down the field. I think the most amazing thing about this Packers roster, though, is about this, this Packers season, I guess, is that it hasn't even been close. They're Point differential is near 50 already through five games. That's nearly 10-point differential per game. It's. I think this Packers team is clearly far and away the best in the NFC, and I think if they go head-to-head, I think that Rodgers is going to come out on top because, like you said, the Seahawks just do not have the personnel around, in my opinion, to compete for a Super Bowl. It can't all be on Russ. You cannot depend on him. Yes, he's done it the first five weeks. I don't think this can, is sustainable throughout an entire season.
0: You're probably right, and let me I wasn't really comparing Rodgers to game manager Brady as much I was like peak Brady, because peak Brady was a dominant force, but it was always that sort of controlled, it never felt magic, you never really had your jaw drop, and Rodgers obviously is still more talented than Brady ever was, but my point is just, it's such an ideal situation for him, like he hasn't had in quite some time. So, let me ask you this then. Do you definitively think that the Seahawks are not in the position where they could be a potential Super Bowl contender because this roster just isn't good enough? I
1: don't think they can. I do not think the Seahawks can win a Super Bowl. I just, I think the Packers are... The NFC, first and foremost, is already, already so tough. With teams in their division as well, the Rams could come out on top because they're so supremely talented. If the Niners have some... Uh, no, okay, never mind. I'm not going to bring <laughs> up the Niners. I think they're out for the rest of the season. But the NFC is already so tough and... I know Wilson has done it. He's he's done it his entire career. He's never had a losing season. He's been he has done this every single year for Pete Carroll's rosters. I just at the end of the day, you need a defense. You need a you need players around you. Russell just doesn't have them. And Aaron Rodgers, Carson. Did you? I want you to hear a stat about Rodgers that blew me away. Uh, Eric, take a guess. When's the last time he threw double digit interceptions?
0: Um. 2010. Yeah. Let's go.
1: He hasn't thrown double digit interceptions in 10 years. It's just not something that he does. So in that regard to your Brady take, I will agree that it's not magical. Also, another reason Rodgers does not throw interceptions is because he's smart. He throws the ball away. He doesn't take big sacks. If he's in trouble, he just gets rid of it. Um, But no, I don't think the Seahawks can compete. Do you genuinely, in the NFC, with such stiff competition, do you think the Seahawks have a chance with this bad an O-line, with no pass rush?
0: Well, they were my pick to get out of the NFC before the season, and I wanted to pick Russell Wilson for MVP because of that. My thing with this defense is I think the linebacking core is solid. I think the secondary is solid. It's just about finding a way to get that pass rush because they have nine sacks through five weeks, and the O-line is a concern for me, but at the same time, we have never seen Russ actually be affected by having a bad O-line. It just doesn't matter. He's going to produce no matter what. So I don't know. Yes, there are some more complete teams in the NFC. The Packers obviously leading that crew. But there's something about Russ where I just can't imagine betting against them. So I'm not going to rule them out of that conversation. I don't know if they would still be my favorite. But I don't think that they're fraudulent. And yes, I understand what your critique about the sustainability. But also, I kind of just trust Russ to sustain this level. So let's move on. To compare two quarterbacks who are in very different stages right now we're talking about mvp leading candidates now let's talk about a couple of rookies who are not exactly doing great as far as the winning front but guys who have shown some real talent and that is justin herbert and joe burrow so logan out of those two who are you taking
1: herbert's had far and away the better start Two TDs, 300 yards versus the Chiefs. And he's even had the Chargers. Uh, he got the Chargers the lead in the fourth. 300-yard uh, game versus the Panthers. Three TDs versus the Bucks. Four in an OT loss to the Saints. From a pure talent and ability as a quarterback perspective, I would want Joe Burrow, but situationally, I'm going to take Justin Herbert because Burrow has the worst pass-blocking offensive line in football, and I'd argue with guys like Eckler, Williams, Allen. Herbert also has better weapons. Now, this is not to say that Burrow has not also had a meteoric start. 10 TDs, 1,000 yards, 68% completion in four games, pretty good numbers. Seven TDs through five weeks, I mean, uh, that passing, of course. Uh Three 300 yards games as well this season, but there's a clear lack of talent around him on this O-line. He was sacked seven times against the Ravens and eight times versus the Eagles. Uh, For the rest of the year, for the rest of his career in Cincinnati, it's just really a health concern because I have no doubts of uh, Joe Burrow as a quarterback. I think he can be a legend. He had the greatest collegiate season ever as a quarterback at LSU, and that's undeniable. You're not you're not going to throw 60 touchdowns if you can't read a defense, if you can't make plays. Joe Byrne is there talent-wise, and I would take him with a team with a good O-line, but with what's around them situationally, uh, I'm going to take Justin Herbert.
0: It's so difficult to separate quarterbacks, especially young quarterbacks, from their situation, and it feels like often that sort of determines where a career is headed. I'm going to take Herbert just flat out, and Again, it's impossible to separate from the situation, but with nine touchdowns to three picks, he is throwing a hell of a ball right now. And I liked him a lot in his second to last year at Oregon. I thought that there was a lot of Josh Allen in him with that mobility, with just how much zip he puts on the ball, and some of the accuracy issues that were also raised as a concern. Then he wasn't quite as good in his last season, but he throws a hell of a ball, man. He threw two beautiful bombs last week, and he is great making plays with his feet. I really don't think there are any accuracy or decision-making concerns at this point. He's completing a high percentage of his passes. He's not turning the ball over. And again, to go back to the Allen comparison, he sort of reminds me of that, but he's just more polished right now. And for Burrow, I'm honestly just sad when I watch him play right now. Watching him against the Ravens was impossible. He's already had two weeks out of his first five in which he's taken seven-plus sacks. And if you look at the interception he threw versus Baltimore— it's a 3rd and 10 off his back foot, they're already getting beaten into the ground, he's facing insane pressure for the millionth time of the day, and then you just kind of look at it and you think, what can he do, yeah, it's a bad interception, but I think he does need to improve in that front as far as just throwing balls away, he's the kind of guy who wants to make winning plays at all times because he's a star and he's used to having talent around him, but... It's just tough to watch out there. He's running into linemen trying to make magic happen. He's tripping over his own guys. He's getting brought down 10 times a game. It's just a disaster. And he has that special mentality. He's really talented, but situations can just define careers. And I also think Herbert's just been better on the field in every way. Do
1: you think that uh, what we've seen out of, uh, I think I think Burrow has a clear connection with guys on this roster like Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins. They've gotten along pretty well this season. Do you think a guy like A.J. Green gets traded at all during this year? I mean, Burrow and him have seemed have just lost at times. They're not on the same page. I don't think A.J. Green is happy in this situation where they're going to be losing a lot and he could be competing. But first, do you think he gets moved? Second of all,
0: if so, where? Who's taking A.J. Green at this point? He's had an injury-riddled career. He's playing by far the worst football of his life. And we can look back early on, it seemed like Burrow was trying to at least feed A.J. those targets. He had 13 targets, I think, in week one. Only caught three of those balls, though. And then it's just been downhill ever since then. Hasn't had a single good game. And now he's injured again. I don't know who in their right mind is taking A.J. Green, so I think... The Bengals kind of just need to accept that he's not going to be that guy for them. He's not meshing with Burrow, he's not healthy, and he's probably over the hump, which is unfortunate because he was so good when he was healthy and at his peak.
1: My next question then would be, (laughs) is the bigger issue in Cincinnati, is it this offensive line or is it this horrendous defense?
0: It's the O-line to me because if you're put in a decent situation, look at, Say rookie Baker Mayfield. Yeah, they weren't gonna win a bunch of games, but he was at least comfortable with the guys he had around him. He was able to succeed individually, and that built up his confidence. Now, obviously, next year he sort of cascaded back downwards. So maybe not the best example as that O line fell apart and all that. But I think when it comes to young quarterbacks building their confidence, they just need to feel safe and comfortable with their unit. So when you're pointing to the success of this Bengals team, I think it falls about equally on both sides. But I think that for Burrow specifically, it has way more to do with this O line because look at Derek Carr. Who knows how Derek Carr's career goes if he doesn't get sacked 70 times as a rookie. That kind of stuff scares me for Burrow. He has a special confidence and swag about him, but this is a brutal situation to play football in. Speaking of brutal situations to play football in, we've got a couple of young quarterbacks from New York as well who we want to discuss because Sam Darnold and Daniel Jones are both playing about as poorly as any starting quarterback in the NFL. These are guys who are both invested highly in, who have both been advertised as the future for their franchises, and right now they both kind of look like they just suck. So out of those two, who are you taking?
1: I like this question a little better because at least both New York teams suck pretty equally. Um, I think... (laughs) uh, I think Colin Cowherd may be getting to me though, uh, Carson, because I'm taking Sam Darnold. Um, (laughs) Darnold has been extremely underwhelming thus far through his career. I I don't know if he's made any progress in being able to read a defense, play in, play out, because he's been under a guy like Adam Gase. Uh, Three picks against the Colts, he had 15 his rookie season, 13 last year, and I know QBR isn't the best stat, but it's the lowest of his career. And yet I want him more than Danny Dimes. I know Danny's fast as well. He's got a solid arm and the Giants are just as bad. But when I watch Daniel Jones play football, it's like the game is just moving a little too fast for him. An interception in his first four games, a fumble in his last four games. He led the league in fumbles last season with 18. The difference between these guys isn't extreme, but Darnold, in my eyes, just has a stronger arm, he's bigger, he's faster, but more importantly, he just reacts faster. Even that, you can take a look at that run against the Broncos on Thursday Night Football, that was a instinctive, he just has intuition on where to move in the pocket and this internal timer. I think that if he can, I think he can still carve out a career for himself, but he has got to get out of the wing of Adam Gase and he's got to get some weapons, um, or, and also, I think this season it's a little hard for Darnold. Uh, Jamison Crowder was balling for him these first couple weeks, but uh, overall, give me Darnold because USC product over a Duke product, I think he's just a better NFL prospect. I
0: don't know how long uh, much longer Jones has in the league. These guys are both in absolutely brutal situations, I think that's undeniable, and it's unfortunate because, obviously, Danny Dimes was so criticized as a pick going 6th overall when he really probably hadn't shown that kind of pedigree in college, and then he had a relatively successful rookie campaign with 24 touchdowns to 12 picks, and now, he still has some of that dynamism out of the pocket, but he's just a bad decision maker, I think. And I'm going to go with Darnold as well. I just prefer his pocket presence, his decision-making. I still think he's an inaccurate thrower. He's in a terrible situation, has made some impressive plays with his feet. I think that Danny Dimes can do that as well. But Darnold, to me, just fits more in the prototype of a quarterback where I can see them being, okay, maybe a decent starter, but I'm not optimistic about either of these guys. Do you think that either of them have the chance to be their future for their respective franchises?
1: Yeah, I would say that I think Daniel Jones does just because I think that organization has a lot more faith in him than the Jets, maybe Will and Darnold because of another coaching change comes on. I can see Darnold getting moved out. Eli Manning had a lot of pull in that pick for Daniel Jones because he was at the Manning camps and stuff like that. So I think the Giants may hold on to Jones a little more and try to build this O-line as we go. Obviously, the pick of Andrew Thomas will benefit that a little more and hopefully He can be the cornerstone for Jones at tackle moving forward. Uh, Darnold, I think I'm out on the Jets. I think the Jets are going to be one of the worst teams in the league. I think they get a new coach. I think they get a new quarterback, and I think Darnold's gone after this year. But Jones, I think Jones has an opportunity in New York just because the Giants will hold on to him long enough to get an offensive
0: line around him. Let's do one last quarterback comparison here. Two guys who are from the same draft class, the same draft class as Sam Darnold, in fact, who have clearly set themselves apart as the star MVP candidate type of guys from that year, and that is Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. Who are you taking between those two? Call me crazy because I want
1: Josh Allen over last year's MVP. Look, I'm not one of those guys that doesn't think that Lamar doesn't have an arm or can't play QB because he clearly can. But compared to Josh Allen, his arm is far inferior. Allen has the third best PFF passing grade this season, only behind Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers. Jackson is 17th behind guys like Ryan Fitzpatrick and rookie Justin Herbert. 17 touchdowns to only three picks this year for Allen. 10 TDs to two picks for Lamar. These guys each have had one pretty bad game this season, Allen versus the Titans, where The Titans just said, beat us with your arm, only blitzing Allen, I think, three times all game, but also in that same respect, you have to recognize that Josh Allen was without John Brown. Um, The Chiefs absolutely stymied Lamar, though, with their QB contain, limiting him to 97 yards, and that's ultimately why I'm going to go with a guy like Josh Allen. You cannot limit, or no, you have to limit Josh Allen's arm. You can stop Lamar Jackson's arm. Allen, in my eyes, is a more complete quarterback and... I think he's a more genuine MVP candidate with his play this season. I'm taking Allen because, uh, I don't know, like you said with Darnold, I think he's a more prototypical quarterback. He's got the gift of speed, but his arm is way stronger
0: than Lamar's. My question with Lamar is, are we going to see him match his efficacy as a runner from last year? Because he's down from 80 yards a game to 47 right now. And that, to me changes everything because the reason Lamar was able to be so successful as a passer is it was just so easy. Obviously, brilliant play calling from Greg Roman, but just the constant threat of that dynamic run attack, and if that fades even a little bit, then Lamar's job becomes so much harder, whereas Allen is just such a natural slinger of the football and also has a brilliant OC in Brian Dable who is just drawing guys open for him every time. I think that Josh has to be the pick for me right now as well. And you talk about his struggles against the Titans. He had a couple of just blackout moments when you're like, Josh, what are you doing? Through probably the worst interception I've ever seen from him. And that is sort of what he became known for over his first two years is just having some of those wild man moments. Those have greatly decreased in year three. There have still been a couple. But as that game went on, and yes, the interception sort of disrupted the flow, but he started to do a great job of picking apart that zone where he was just taking the underneath stuff. He wasn't trying to make the win The winning play, every single time, it was just seven yards to Cole Beasley if it had to be seven yards to Stephon Diggs, and I think that he showed in an impressive way to me that he can beat you both with that ridiculous gunslinging and just connecting on deep balls like we have seen and making those magical plays with his feet and picking defenses apart a little bit more systematically. And so, obviously, not a great outcome versus the Titans because they got absolutely thrashed, and that was really killed when they were driving to go down 21-17, and Josh threw that terrible interception, but what we've seen from him right now is unreal, and it just looks easier. It just feels more reliable, and maybe his play drops off as the season goes on, but 69% completion, 1,600 yards, 14 touchdowns to three interceptions, really two interceptions, really one that he is at fault for. He threw two against the Titans, one which is a bad pass, but potentially still a catchable ball and at the very least a really tough bounce for it to end up in the defender's hand I think I'm going with Allen right now as well so let me ask you Logan as a Josh Allen for MVP promoter how are you feeling about that pick right now I'm
1: not I'm not as confident I mean the only reason is just it's not Josh Allen's play one bad game against the Titans isn't going to make me sell on him it's the play of Russell Wilson Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes literally three of the greatest quarterbacks ever so If I actually had to put money down on it, I'd probably bail on my Allen MVP pick just with how dominant those guys have been, but don't get get it twisted. Josh Allen is, I still think he's a top five QB in the NFL
0: this season. I think so too, and he has a much more difficult job than what was advertised because this Bills defense has definitively taken a step back. So yes, his weapons are improved. His line is improved. Also though, the run game is not great. So this has to be a passing offense basically every time out, and they're not going to hold teams to 15 points a game like they could have at the snap of a finger last year. So he has to be great, and four out of five times he has been. He just had one rough performance.
1: I wanted so badly for the Bills to make that move on Le'Veon Bell and get you guys that dominant runner that would just complete your offense because I love Devin Singletary, but he is so much more in that Danny Woodhead, Darren Sproles kind of utility back and a guy like, that is that is what is missing from your offense right now is that every down dominant back. And once you
0: guys get him, uh,
1: the Bills are going to be unstoppable.
0: And the field feels so open because of Dable's play calling and the weapons. But every time we run the ball, I just think if I were the other team, I would be breathing a sigh of relief right now because they're trying to beat us with Devin Singletary or TJ Yeldon instead of Josh Allen and these receiving weapons. Speaking of receiving weapons a couple of rookies have really put themselves on the map early, most notably Chase Claypool and Justin Jefferson. So between those two, Logan, who are you taking? Uh, I'm going to take Claypool. Again,
1: I'm a biased Steelers fan. I'm not going to sell on the man. I love Chase Claypool already. Uh, But I have to recognize Justin Jefferson has been the perfect replacement for stefan diggs i mean cousins has had a few bad weeks here and there but overall has not missed a beat jefferson right now is the fourth highest pff receiving grade and has uh had really solid back-to-back weeks against the titans and texans 170 yard 175 yards in the td versus tennessee 100 versus houston uh in his 371 total yards put him 13th in the league while he's been impressive like i said i want mapletron we all know about his four td game last week Claypool is stupid fast, though. He's the fastest big wideout that I've ever seen. He's bigger than Jefferson. He's faster than him. And he's got Big Ben throwing him the rock. All of Jefferson's numbers are more impressive than Claypool. So all that I can say outside of his intangibles are, go watch his toe tap versus the Giants. Go watch his go-route against the Eagles. Watch what he does to Denzel Ward and the Browns this week. And... Because, also, yeah, Deontay Johnson's out with a back injury. Claypool's getting those starter minutes. He is going to rip that secondary. In my eyes, Claypool is Martavis Bryant times two. He's Plaxico Burris, part two. That man is a beast in the making. Again, I don't think you can go wrong with either of these guys. I think they're both studs, but Claypool is just a more physical receiver, and uh, I've watched more tape on him. I'm more confident.
0: Claypool last week was absolutely unbelievable. Felt like every time the Steelers game came on the TV, he was scoring a touchdown. But also, I don't know if it's as sustainable. He has an unreal combo of speed and size. The dude is just a beast. He also wasn't targeted five times, once through the first three games, and he had this one unreal performance. I'm not even sure if he's the Steelers' number two receiver under normal circumstances when Deontay is healthy. And that's not an anti-Claypool take. I just think Deontay Johnson is that good, and he's that versatile of a weapon, and that's the thing. No one, to me, is individually going to put up monster numbers in this Steelers offense because they have three guys who are that good. With Jefferson, I see a guy who has caught 76% of his targets, who I loved coming out of college, and honestly, as a Bills fan, wasn't huge on the Diggs trade necessarily. I liked it, but I also thought I would have been very happy with just getting Justin Jefferson because I thought he was going to be that good. I like him more as a route runner. He has some incredible speed as well. Not quite Claypool level, but pretty darn close. Great hands, a great contested catch, major, catch maker, and I just think he'll be a more consistent number one receiver type. To me, Claypool is the kind of guy who has unbelievable physical gifts, but I also think is dependent on having weapons around him to where he can get more of those favorable one-on-one matchups, whereas Jefferson I trust to find gaps in the defense, to beat guys off the line of scrimmage, to get open, to make those tough catches a little bit more. I think he's more of a prototypical number one in this league.
1: I'm going to give you a little pushback on the Deontay Johnson might be the Steelers' second best. This week, Claypool will take that job. Um, With his injury concerns, Deontay only has three targets these past three weeks. He's been dropping passes. He's been fumbling footballs. Uh, Carson, this is the week where Chase Claypool definitively takes over that number two spot for the Steelers moving forward.
0: Well, Deontay hasn't really played in these past three weeks.
1: And what I'm saying is, He's had he's played he's his off his role in the offense has been moved due to Claypool, but also week one he had a fumble on a punt return. Week two he dropped a bunch of balls from Ben in the backfield. I've seen some bad I have yet to see Claypool mess up on the level of what Deontay's been doing. Granted, I love him as a weapon.
0: I just think it's so easy to get Deontay the ball. He's such a weapon in the screen game, and I think there's a reason he was targeted 10 times and 13 times over the first two weeks, and then now, he's been hurt. He played 24% of the snaps in your guys' third game, 8% of the snaps in the fourth game. I don't think that it's necessary. But maybe you're right, because Claypool is that good, and either way, I think that as far as a 1-2-3 combo, it has to just be the Steelers and the Cowboys sort of in a tier of their own there. So we just talked about one Vikings receiver. Let's talk about... Another couple of Vikings receivers, one who is currently their number one guy, and the other one who was in that 1A, 1B role with him, Stefan Diggs or Adam Thielen, who are you taking between those two? Uh, I'm taking Diggs. Third in catches, second in
1: yards, third most yards per game, he's fifth in wide out first downs, he's more agile, and I'm going to say it, Carson, with Josh Allen at quarterback, I think he's the best wide receiver in football outside of DeAndre Hopkins. Whoa! Whoa, above Julio Jones if he's healthy? Uh, okay, well, that's, that's a bit of a caveat. Healthy Julio is a different beast, but injured Julio, Diggs is too. <laughs> um, For the Thielen case, I want to say Thielen's been playing really good football. Number one in PFF receiving grade. He leads the NFL in receiving touchdowns. Uh, Really good game against the Texans. Eight catches, 114 yards. Carson, I just said it. I want you to think about what Allen does for Diggs. It's a guy that can get him the ball on whatever route he desires, whatever route he runs. I think Allen does as much for Diggs as Diggs has been doing for Allen this season. And yes, number two behind Hopkins with an injured Julio.
0: I think that Diggs has done so much for Allen. And part of the reason is, as good as Josh has been, he doesn't quite throw guys open like an Aaron Rodgers or a Patrick Mahomes or a Russell Wilson. And so he benefits from having one of the absolute best route runners in football alongside him. What's incredible to me about Diggs is, He already has 509 yards. He also has six drops, and we saw a few of them last week. 51 targets through five weeks. He is Allen's number one option every time out there, and not in a way where he gets locked in on him, although there were a couple of those against the Titans, because I think he was just a bit baffled by the zone early, and he tried to force it into digs, but for the most part, it's been... Natural good opportunities because Diggs is just consistently getting that open, and he also has that game-breaking speed. He's a brilliant contested catchmaker. The dude is just an all-around beast, and Thielen, his best two years with the Vikings were unreal when he had 1276 and then 1373 yards in back-to-back years. He's unbelievable at just finding gaps in the defense, but I think Diggs is more athletic. I think he's the better route runner, and it's obviously great to see Thielen producing like this after what was such a brutal year. Last season, he's almost matched his yards total from last year in half the games already, but I think that Diggs is on a slightly different level as far as talent goes. We've talked about it briefly before, but let's get specific. You said that Justin Jefferson was a really good replacement for Stefan Diggs. How much better would this Vikings team be if they still had Diggs, and how much of a difference would that have made?
1: Not much, I don't think. I think the Vikings issues have clearly been on the defensive side of the football this season, although... Here, let me pull it up. I mean, I think the Vikings may have had a couple swing games. I think that Packers game where they had that shootout uh, opening week, where uh, Adam Thielen had a monster game against the Packers to start off the season. I think maybe they win a couple of those swing games, only losing by nine. They may beat the Titans, but I mean, honestly, wideout is like I said, wideout really isn't the issue for the Vikings this season because Jefferson has been so dominant. I think on the other side, though, I think the better. Um, I, The better point to look at would just be the increase in offensive production out of your bills this season.
0: Yeah, I think that Diggs is the kind of safety valve where you can get the ball to at any second and he'll make a play for you. At the same time, I think he was a bit underutilized in Minnesota as is, and I think that's where some of his frustration stemmed from and why he got out of there. So I don't think it's making a huge difference. I agree the Vikings are a much more flawed team than Diggs could make up for, but he is still to me a loss that they will feel, even though Jefferson is as good as he is. Let's do another receiver comparison here, because there are a couple guys who have lit the league on fire through five years, a couple guys who have been very good early in their careers, but we probably weren't quite expecting this level of production from, in DK Metcalf and Calvin Ridley. So between those two, Logan, who are you taking? Uh, Ridley's had a
1: huge season, especially with Julio's injuries, forcing him to miss weeks three and five. Uh, He's fifth in receiving in the NFL so far, 485 yards, and he's got 100 yards in every game, except against the Packers, where he's held actually without a catch by Jair Alexander. Uh, Ridley's extremely quick. He's got great feet. He's a great route runner. screw route running. Give me a 6'4 speed demon that's built like a truck. He leads the NFL in receiving yards versus single coverage. Metcalf is third in the NFL in total receiving yards, 496. He's got a touchdown in every single game except last week versus the Dolphins. He still went over 100 yards, and he's balled on tough corners. He's not doing this on scrubs. On Gilmore in week two, Xavier Howard in week four, he's pretty proven. Um, Ridley's great, 800 yards and seven or more TDs in his first two seasons, and I think he easily eclipses 1,000 this year. Um, And if I'm going to use PFF stats for my Allen argument and Diggs argument, I have to recognize Ridley has the fifth highest PFF receiving grade in football this season. DK is ranked 30th, but I want the physical freak. I want the freight train. I want DK Metcalf.
0: I think you have more of a preference for the guys who physically your jaw just drops at, like a Chase Claypool, like a DK Metcalf. (laughs) I really thought I was going to come on here and say Calvin Ridley. I think that he's the more precise route runner by far, also runs a 4-4-40, so he has that kind of game-breaking speed, feels like he's just always open, and outside of that one game, has produced at such an unbelievably high level every time out, but I am going to go with DK, who's had 90 plus yards in each game, 5 touchdowns, I think that maybe you could argue that it's not as sustainable because it's a 56% catch rate, he's averaging 22.5 yards per reception. Those aren't really typical elite receiver numbers, but the dude's 6'4" with 433 speed. You say Chase Claypool is the fastest big dude you can remember at since Calvin Johnson or Randy Moss. I think it's got to be DK Metcalf. Unless we're considering Julio a big dude, which he's not quite as big and strong as a guy like DK. He's unstoppable in the red zone because he is so physically dominant and just look at how stupid he's made some of these corners look. I Is he the closest thing to Megatron that we've had in this past decade?
1: Yeah, and it's weird saying because you make a good point with the Claypool take because Metcalf should not be fast enough to get behind safeties the way he does. Russell is, and that's why he's such an easy target for Russ. You just gotta loft it up there, and you know DK has already burnt them. I think he is, maybe outside of, like you said, Julio, uh, AJ Green maybe, if you want to make a case. Um and I think there's been some other really good big guys like a Mike Evans as well, but speed-wise and just how they physically look, how they are physically built, no. I have never seen I've never seen a wideout built like DK Metcalf.
0: And that's where I'm gonna agree because if you compare him to a guy like, say, AJ Green, he has 20 pounds on him. He's so much stronger. And what's crazy about DK is He was so hyped up throughout the pre-draft process where people were mocking him as high as fourth overall. I wasn't huge on him because I thought, obviously, there are these incredible physical traits. I think he's a bit raw, though, and we saw people continue to latch onto that mindset to the point where he falls to the second round and now is producing in his second year at a level that is truly among the elite receivers in football. I'm going to ask you with both of these guys because... For how early they are in their careers, what they're doing is just unbelievable. How high can both of them go in the receiver rankings in the NFL?
1: As high as possible. I mean, Ridley's rookie season, when he came onto the year, he had a, I mean, that string of a few weeks where I think he scored seven or eight touchdowns in three weeks. It was insane, especially for my fantasy team. Uh, I'll always be indebted to you, Calvin. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think Calvin has, with his route running ability, honestly, I think he's got a ceiling of a guy like Diggs. Now, not as, not Diggs level because he's not as fast and explosive as Diggs. He's just a little bit slower. For a guy like Metcalf though, all time, Randy Moss, Calvin Johnson, just because he is physically built like that. Ridley cannot, in my opinion, become a guy like a a Randy Moss or even a D-Hop. There's just a, there's a different level of athlete there and DK clearly possesses the skill set and he's got the hands for it as well. I think DK could be a, a top 25 receiver of all time.
0: It's such an interesting comparison because I honestly think Ridley is probably already better than Diggs in my opinion. He brings so much of the same ability to just get open at any time and I think is actually slightly more explosive. I think Calvin Ridley is right around top five receiver in football right now. These two are both in that tier to me already and it's tough to compare because so many of the best receivers in football aren't those physical freaks. But also, when you look at the real all-time guys, sometimes that just takes you up another level, and so I don't know how to gauge their respective ceilings. I just think they're both going to be top five receivers in football for a while.
1: You think Ridley's already better than
0: Diggs? I think it's really close. I don't know. They're both always open. They both also have that game-breaking speed. I think that maybe in the red zone, I would rather have Ridley by a little bit. I think he might be a slightly better contested catchmaker, but they're both great there. I think it's really close. I think they're pretty similar receivers, and I think it's a good comparison in that respect.
1: Man, that's, that's really high praise. I didn't know you were a big Calvin Ridley guy like that.
0: Dude, I think that I said a couple weeks ago that I thought he'd be a top five receiver in football this year, and obviously these guys are both in great situations as far as their quarterbacks. Metcalf a little bit more so than Ridley although Matt Ryan is playing at an elite level right now as well and we'll see when Julio is back and fully healthy how much Ridley's target share changes but he was still getting these kind of touches and opportunities when Julio was out there over the first couple weeks and he was equally dominant so let's flip to the other side of the ball now with a couple of guys who are even younger and who have also already impressed The two, in my opinion, highest profile defensive players in this draft, not the first two off the board, but the two guys where I was like, I can see them making an instant impact, and they already have. That is in Patrick Queen and Chase Young. So out of those two, who are you taking, Logan?
1: Man, this is weird saying it because I never thought that I'd take anybody over Chase Young, but I am going to go with Patrick Queen. He has been absolutely wow outstanding to start this season. Uh, an AFC, a AFC defensive player of the week award last week, nine tackles, a forced fumble, two fumble recoveries, and a defensive touchdown. He's got two sacks and 42 tackles on the year. Um, Young, I think, still has Hall of Fame upside. I think he's going to be a monster, but Queen with the Baltimore Ravens has just got this, this next Ray Allen, T-Sizzle. He just seems like the next... Oh, the next guy the Steelers are going to have to play against for the next 10 years and he's going to be a superstar he's doing Darius Leonard type things in this rookie season and I think Patrick Queen is going to be if not already if you do not consider him to be one of the best linebackers in football he is going to be one of the best linebackers in football and now Chase Young gets a little bit of the short stick here because he's had some injuries early on and it just as a pass rusher, if you don't get a sack week in, week out, people aren't going to be astounded at your numbers. Uh, don't get me wrong, I'm not sold out on Chase Young. I still think he's going to be one of the best DNs in the league, but Patrick Queen is so clearly already there on a great Ravens team defense.
0: This Ravens defense is unreal, and Queen's sideline-to-sideline side speed is already right up there with the absolute best in football. He just covers the entire field so easily, has such great anticipation, perceives the game, and has the physical tools on a level that you just don't often see from rookie linebackers. And if we're looking at what they have done on the field thus far in their NFL careers, you have made the right choice. I am still going to go with Chase Young just because He had one and a half sacks and a forced fumble in his debut, and we saw all of the physical dominance translate immediately that made him one of the greatest edge rushers in college football history. Then we saw the sack and a couple of tackle for losses in week two. Then he got hurt week three. He wasn't as disruptive this past week, but we don't quite have as much film on him yet because he hasn't been out there as much. But I think that when you combine what we saw in college with what we saw over the first couple weeks, I'm going to take him and also slight positional bias maybe that kind of game-wrecking pass rusher will always be more valuable, and Queen is already so, so good, but I still think that the ceiling is higher for Chase, and I think that he's very likely to get there. Do you agree in that respect?
1: Yeah, I do. I can't argue with any pass rush take because, like you said, they're always going to hold more value than a linebacker. So, uh, no, and I mean, with two guys this caliber, this early, you can't go wrong.
0: So let's talk now about a pair of elite pass rushers who are right up there with the best in the league. Khalil Mack or Miles Garrett? I think we know who has the more established reputation around the league because he built it up several years ago, but I think there's another guy who's playing at a higher level right now. Who are you taking between those two? Yeah,
1: I'm taking Miles Garrett. I didn't expect to because he's obviously on the rival of Cleveland Browns. He tried to maliciously murder one of our backup quarterbacks, uh, but... Miles Garrett, I don't know if we've ever seen, I mean, we probably have in 90s guys like Reggie White, but just, Miles Garrett is historically dominant at this position. Seven sacks his rookie season in only 11 games, 13 and a half in a full year, and last season, I think people forget, before he beat Mason Rudolph over the head with a helmet... He was leading the Defensive Player of the Year race on, it didn't matter what his team was doing, he had 10 sacks in 10 games. I picked him midway through the year as my Defensive Player of the Year because he was playing that good football. He was unstoppable. And now this season, he's got six sacks and three forced fumbles in five weeks. Miles Garrett is an absolute disruptor. Now, like you said, Mac has an established resume. What I saw out of him last year kind of shies me away from picking him he only had eight and a half sacks in a full season with the Bears. It was a real letdown for the Bears' defense as a whole and um, and just yeah, just the team as a whole. But this season with a key mix back, he's looked better. Three and a half sacks in five games. Um, Mack is an elite pass rusher, but he's obviously on the backside of his career at age 29. A guy like Miles Garrett is only 25, is an elite edge rusher, and honestly might be the best defensive end in football.
0: Garrett was my pick to win Depoy before this season, and I really thought about TJ Watt. Through a few weeks, TJ Watt was making me regret that I hadn't picked him, but now Garrett has six sacks in the last four weeks, 10 quarterback hits on the season, and Mack is still great. He has seven QB hits as well. He's just taken, to me, a noticeable step back from when he was that kind of game-wrecking passer, pass rusher. That even if he didn't lead the league in sacks, it still felt like he was the best pass rusher in football because of his ability to just force a turnover at any second and to get pressure so consistently, so quickly, and... He was just that kind of monster disruptor, and he's still very good, but I don't quite think he's there yet. I honestly don't think that this one is close. I think that Garrett is the obvious choice, and unless you are living on reputation and taking Mac for that reason, which I don't think you should do when we have a season and a half of tape that tells us Garrett is the better player between the two of them, I think you have to go with Garrett. Is he, in your opinion, the obvious frontrunner for defensive player of the year right now? You said he was halfway through last year. Has he taken that title again? Uh no, I
1: I don't think that Miles has taken that fully yet. Just because. Go ahead, I'm gonna bring him back up. It's T.J. Watt. Um, I, I, Watt and Donald are, are heading this race. Uh, I think Donald has like seven and a half sacks through five games as well. It doesn't make any sense. So no, I don't think he's a front runner because you're going to have the Aaron Donald. You're going to have T.J. Watt. And Miles. It's gonna be a close race. It's gonna be a fun one to watch. Uh yeah, Donald seven and a half sacks. It, He hasn't run away with it, but if we see Donald's numbers come to a halt, which I don't expect to happen, we could see him take it away, but Miles Garrett is definitely up there. I'd say top three, potentially top five for sure.
0: Yeah, Aaron Donald honestly just has to be the presumptive favorite every year because he's just so clearly the best player in football, and it just kind of depends on if the numbers align with that, and he looks like he might be on pace for another 20-sack season like he had two years ago, and if he does that, From the interior, I think he becomes the very obvious choice.
1: I end sadly with the Browns too. If the Browns don't win enough games, I don't care. Miles Garrett isn't winning Defensive Player of the Year on an 8-win Browns team.
0: Interesting. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because I think you can separate the individual defensive player as long as the team defense is good. And the Browns are looking like they're probably going to be pretty good at least on that end. So we will finish this or that with some game picks after we quickly do... Our signature segment here on NerdSesh and that is award tour where we hand out awards to the most deserving recipients from the past week I'm gonna kick it off with the biggest winner of 2020 award which goes to Le'Veon Bell who has gone from Adam Gase, Sam Darnold, that O-line to now probably splitting lead back duties with Clyde Edwards helaire in the most off open dynamic offense in football with a brilliant mind with incredible weapons around him with the best quarterback in the league getting a chance to really show his worth because obviously he struggled with the Jets but also who doesn't struggle with the Jets and likely win a Super Bowl that to me is about as good as it gets for him especially if he's able to get more than half of of the carries and touches out of that backfield.
1: My first award is the same old Chargers award, a.k.a. the Phillip Rivers award. In four starts this season, Justin Herbert has lost every game by seven or less points, a loss by three to the Chiefs, five to the Panthers, seven to the Bucks, and three to the Saints. He has been so competitive, but ultimately Justin Herbert has broke the heart of every Chargers fan, just like old Phillip Rivers did week
0: in, week out. The Can't Read the Room Award goes to Taylor Luan and the Tennessee Titans. If you didn't see it after their thrashing of the Buffalo Bills, Luan said, they hate it. They said we did everything wrong. Don't put us in adversity. And the Tennessee Titans Twitter account then posted this as some sort of team unifying message. Well, Taylor, you guys kind of did do everything wrong. You broke COVID policies. You screwed a couple of other teams schedule wise. And then you happen to play a good football game. That's not really quote unquote adversity. That's self-imposed.
1: The next award is the Paul Revere Award. I'm giving that to... Uh, Patriots offensive guard Michael Owenyu seems like Bill Belichick can just put anybody on his O-line and win. The six-round pick has played every offensive snap the past two games and has not had a penalty and has the second-highest guard-blocking grade in the entire
0: NFL. The Minnesota Vikings Award a little bit similar to the same old Chargers award, goes to the Minnesota Vikings because the same franchise that lost four Super Bowls, had a kicker who'd been perfect on the season, miss a 39-yard field goal to end a 15-1 season, just blew a 13-0 lead at halftime, and lost at the last second in a heartbreaking fashion to a literal god in Russell Wilson when they finally had that potential for the season-turning, momentum-picking-up win that they desperately needed, and they blew it.
1: The next award is the Big Blonde Dude Award. The Jets once again chose wild Florida man Adam Gase over top-end talent in the NFL by cutting Le'Veon Bell instead of cutting ties with their coach. The QB Whisperer seems to have his crack eyes set on losing every game and landing the greatest quarterback prospect ever.
0: So there it is. There's award tour. (laughs) Some honorable selections this week. (laughs) Now let's get into some game picks. And let's start with two teams who we've already talked about we were just talking about with T.J. Watt and Miles Garrett the Steelers and Browns are facing off two teams who have played at an unbelievably high level over the past four weeks. Who are you taking?
1: Uh, as a Steelers fan, I can never pick against my team. So I'm going to take Pittsburgh, but I, I think that has some merit to it. Uh, TJ Watt leads the league in pressures this season. We've seen outstanding play out of everyone on the D line to it. Alu-Alu, Hayward, uh, Dup- but Dupree is God. He is going to get his bag at the end of this year, but Dupree isn't playing great football. Um, And I think there is a serious concern with the Steelers' defense. It's not their pass rush. It's not up the middle. It's the coverage that we have seen out of guys like Devin Bush, Minka Fitzpatrick, and Mike Hilton, and Terrell Edmonds. It it seems like we got beat up by Jeff Driscoll. We got beat up by Deshaun Watson with no O-line when that shouldn't have happened. Like These guys are making plays against what should be a very stout pass coverage unit against lackluster receivings, against lackluster quarterbacks. I think the saving grace in that regard is Baker Mayfield, in my eyes, is ultimately a league average quarterback. So I don't think he's going to light us up. But when you've got Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry on the outside, it definitely brings into some questions that, what if Mike Hilton gets beat on a play? What if Austin Hooper beats Devin Bush on a corner route? These plays will be there to be made, especially with the Browns' talent. And there is some concern with the run defense on the Steelers, though, because of how dominant the Browns' uh, offensive line has been in the running game for guys like Kareem Hunt. Obviously, the Browns will be without Nick Chubb, so is a slight win for the Steeler defense. But still, stout offensive line, great wide receivers on the outside, and some questionable pass coverage by the Steelers. This is a losable game for the Steelers, but I don't know, with Big Ben on our side and Claypool balling out, with our offense still in gear, I think this should be a dominant win for the Steelers, but there are some uh, some possibilities.
0: The Browns have been such a fascinating team because since being shut down by the Ravens, just obliterated, they've scored 35, 34, 49, and 32 points. They also let up 30 a game, and you raise some concerns about that Steelers' defense and I think that one of the determinants in this game will be who wins the battle at the line of scrimmage because the Steelers have 20 sacks in four weeks. They're also going up against a great O-line. And so if they are able to consistently get pressure on Baker, I think we've seen that he really struggles under those circumstances. I also worry a bit about Baker if the Browns have to play from behind because he's averaged 195 yards a game on the season. As I've mentioned, he has not fared very well under significant pressure in the past, and so... If the Steelers are able to get that kind of early lead, because their offense has been pretty potent thus far, because they just have these insane weapons and they can beat you with the run, they can beat you through the air, I don't feel great about the Browns in that situation. If they're able to establish their kind of football where they run over you guys and their defense plays well enough, then I think there's a very real world in which they do take it. My thing is just against another team that is as talented, more talented, in fact, I don't really trust Baker to go out there and win that game for them. Let's talk about another couple of division rivals in the Rams and the Niners. Two teams who are sort of trending in the opposite directions. Who do you have taking this one?
1: Uh, I'm taking the Rams. The Rams are coming off a close game with the Giants. Um, And I I think the 49ers are going to come out hungry. Uh, The 49ers' uh, turnovers have killed them the past two weeks. Three versus the Eagles, three versus the Dolphins. Uh, The run attack is still great, over 100 yards rushing in this game. But with the Rams and their great run defense... I don't see the 49ers being able to consistently get that ground attack going, and with the questions in the air with Jimmy Garoppolo, the questionable wide receiver weapons, the lack of Emmanuel Sanders, I'm going to just take the more dominant offense in this. I'm going to take a page out of the Carson Breber playbook. I'm taking the offense. Uh, Jared Goff is two 300-yard receivers this season in Woods and Cup. He's over 70% completion this season, so um, with the lackluster pass rush as well on the Niners side, I don't see them being able to get to uh, Goff as easily, so... Yeah, I have my concerns with the Rams only putting up 17 against the Giants, but I'm going to stick with them because the 49ers are just injury riddled and have a lot of questions on that football team.
0: Yeah, the Niners are so banged up on the defensive end. They're starting to get healthier offensively. I'm going to take them. I don't feel great about it, but they need this so badly. Last week was so terrible. Jimmy was awful. The defense was awful. And we talked about this before the season several times. If the Niners didn't get off to a hot start, go 5-1 and one or so over their first six games, I thought it was going to be hard enough for them to make the playoffs, even performing at that level, because their schedule down the stretch is so brutal, and now they're sitting at 2-3, and three. they have to be the underdogs in this game, I do think this is an important test for the Rams, because although I think they're very good, they are 4-1 and one with four wins over the NFC East, they're a very strong two-way team. If they get consistent pressure on Jimmy, it could be really ugly for the Niners, and this pass rush led by Aaron Donald has been unbelievable as of late. They're the better football team, but maybe because the Niners are at home, they're going to be a little more comfortable. Maybe just because I feel like they need this game so badly, and they are a good football team. I think that they're better than what than the level they've played at. They're not a Super Bowl contender again this year, obviously, but I also don't think they're just going to wilt away and win three games this season, and if that is going to be the case, then they need to win this one, because if not... A five six win season is totally reasonable when you consider who they have to play over the rest of this year. So let's move on now to another interesting game out in the NFC. We have Packers Buccaneers this week. Two teams that have been pretty impressive thus far. Who are you taking there? I think this is going to
1: be a really good game. Um, I'm going to take the Packers. I think it's a really evenly matched one just because. Uh, the Buccaneers' defense has been tremendous at run-stopping, so I think that Aaron Jones maybe gets a little pushback. But Brady is going to be under constant fire with this young O-line and Darius Smith on the outside. So uh, the the basically the game-changer for me is the young secondary that the Buccaneers have. I think Aaron Rodgers picks them apart. I think he lights it up. And uh, obviously if the Buccaneers' defense can force some turnovers and rattle Rodgers, they've got to play – some sort of time of possession game because you're not going to beat Aaron Rodgers if you let him have the football. I also have some concerns in the arm of Tom Brady. This is no easy secondary that he's going up against. Uh, Jair Alexander um, and uh, who are some of the Darnell Savage? I mean, these guys are young, but they're really good. And Brady has had a tendency early on in the season to just throw pick after pick. He's got a couple of pick sixes, he's got a couple of interceptions his last few games. So, I just think the Packers are a more complete team, and I just have more confidence of them going into this game, but I've counted Tom Brady out before. I would not be surprised if this Buccaneers defense stood tall and took care of business against the Packers coming off a bye week.
0: This is a great 3-2 and Bucks team. I think that they are about to be a great 3-3 three and three Bucks team, and I wanted to pick them just because it feels like they need it more, but the Packers just haven't really been challenged yet, and maybe on their best day, the Bucs can score with them, The defenses have been of a pretty similar caliber, in my opinion. They've both been really good. And if JPP and Shaq Barrett can get that kind of consistent pressure that no one else has been able to generate against the Packers, that might change things if you take Rodgers out of the comfort zone that he has thrived in for this entire season. But I just trust the Packers' offense so much more. It doesn't matter who the weapons really are, as long as they have Aaron Jones, Aaron Rodgers, and that O-line.
1: What did you make of the Bucs' loss to the Bears?
0: Honestly... Not all that much. I think that we saw that their offense wasn't the kind of dynamic thing we're going to be able to count on every week like it had looked like against the Chargers when they just surged or against the Broncos or the Panthers when they put up pretty high point totals. So that to me puts a bit of a ceiling on this team, but I thought their defense played well and it was just kind of a weird loss for them, but I don't necessarily take too much away from it.
1: Yeah, it just concerns me with a dominant defense like the Bears. I would consider the Packers to be there in the upper echelon, too. I don't know if it's... I don't think Brady's fallen off a cliff or anything, but I think there were some concerns in that game just with how rattled he got with the pass rush. I think that's another potential playout if the offensive line doesn't show up. But I think Brady had to get their, those boys' heads spun on straight because an angry Tom Brady throwing temper tantrums
0: on the sideline cannot be fun for any young O-lineman. He's an angry guy, that fella. Let's get into the last intriguing game of the week, Chiefs-Bills. Who are you taking in this one?
1: I'm sorry, Carson. I can't take the Bills. I can't. I I think that the Bills, I don't think they were exposed as a whole against the Titans, but there are definitely some concerns on the outside linebackers, in my opinion. Uh, You guys did not get a whole lot of pass rush against Ryan Tannehill, and... I think you guys are a little bit more well-equipped. First question, though, is I think you guys are well-equipped to take on Patrick Mahomes in this passing attack. Is Trey White available for this game?
0: He's practicing fully right now, so he should be.
1: If Trey White is in this game, I think the Buffalo Bills have a chance because the Titans ripped you guys apart without him. There was a noticeable lacking of a dominant shutdown corner on that side. Uh, I'm going to take the Chiefs because I'm never going to count out Patrick Mahomes in this dominant offense, although the Raiders certainly pulled a uh, fast one. The Bills do not have the facilities to beat this Chiefs team, in my opinion, because you guys do not have that dominant dominant running back that you can give the football and burn the clock out and keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a a really fun game to watch. I think Allen and Diggs are going to go over the top a lot to try to keep up with this offense because the Chiefs are going to put up points, but the the pass rush isn't there for the bills the uh, there's just a lot of it's it's an it's not a good matchup for the bills because it's not going to be a run the ball out and hold on to the football if mahomes gets the football they're going to score points and the bills are going to lose the game
0: i think this game's going to be a track meet which is going to be fun to watch but i don't think that the bills are equipped to win in that kind of game against the kansas city chiefs The pass rush to me is the biggest concern. Ten sacks in five games. They can't get pressure with four. I'm not even sure if they can get pressure while blitzing, and you really don't want to blitz Patrick Mahomes. This secondary hasn't been as airtight as it was last year. I think the Milano and Edmonds fully healthy would be a relatively great combination at handling Kelsey just because they're both pretty great coverage linebackers, especially Milano, but they've both been dealing with injuries. I don't think either will be at 100%, so it's going to be good to see this Bills team more fully healthy, with hopefully uh, some sort of reality check because they had been so high after the first four weeks and now they just got the air knocked out of them I think it might be a close game but you're getting John Brown back as well which helps I just don't think they can expose the Chiefs weakness in their run defense which has been 28th and DVOA just because I don't trust Singletary to consistently perform there and Maybe we see the first big game from him. I'm not going to count on it. I think that this is a passing offense against a passing offense, and I'm just going to take Mahomes over Josh Allen. I expect a big game from Josh. I don't think it's enough. I don't trust this Bills team to get that big stop if they need it. I honestly can't trust any defense to do that against the Chiefs, but especially with the way that the Bills are playing right now on that end, and I could never really pick in an individual week against the Chiefs because to me, they have to be the favorite in every single football game they play.
1: My last question for you as a Bills fan, does the pass rush limit the Bills for making a true Super Bowl run?
0: I think that when you're talking about a Super Bowl run, which means you have to get past the Kansas City Chiefs, then yes, because it takes away some dynamism from this defense. They didn't have an individual dominant pass rusher last year, and you would think the losses of guys like Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips and Starlo Tulele, not a pass rusher, but still a stalwart on that defensive line. Could have been supplemented by the additions of a guy like Mario Addison and AJ Epinesa and just the depth of this D-line, but this defense had 47 sacks last year. They have 10 through 5 weeks right now, so they were good enough there to where their linebacking core was great, their secondary was unreal, and they were really tough to score on, and they just haven't played at that level right now, and maybe part of that is health. I also just think it's tough to sustain great defensive units over multiple years, and their offense is made up for it to where they will still be a better football team than last year, but certainly not on the defensive end, and I just don't trust them to beat the Chiefs as an all-around football team. So that's going to do it for us here today on Nerd Sesh. We are coming out with three episodes a week of content. We're doing sports history, NBA, and NFL. You can check us out on Twitter at nerd underscore sesh, at Instagram, on Instagram at nerd sesh. We're available on all podcasting platforms, but we are done for today. You're listening to Blaze Radio on blazeradioonline.com. I've been Carson Brabber. Alongside me was Logan Campbell.